Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to the Risen Nation Church podcast. I pray that this message today impact your life and above all, draw you into a deeper encounter with Jesus. April 18th was a really important day for me. Um, dang, <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. <sighs> anyway, um, I was flying somewhere and the Lord hit me on April 18th. And uh, I share a lot about the encounter I had in January of 2007, or I'm sorry, December of 2017, where he said, you've never built a home with me. And that's where this came from, a house for him. And, and we've watched the Lord do an amazing work um, that really started with this encounter. Um, but April 18th was like another one of those times that I feel like I will remember and talk about this date for the rest of my life, where I'm not saying I'm fully free of self-effort, but it's the beginning in a way like I've never known. Amen. I will never stand up here and claim to be perfect, but I can claim that I am being perfected in Christ. Amen. And so um, that day I, I shared with you last week that the Lord came in and revealed some things about me to me that I have been projecting on God as if he thinks that about me. Things like uh, I don't, sh- I-, I can, I can say, thank God that I don't struggle with like sins like the fleshy stuff, you know, the alcohol, the drugs. And if you do, it's okay. There's freedom for you today. Amen. Just with simple repentance and God will take it from there. Okay. But, but I don't struggle with like, you know, pornography and things. Thank God. And we can be fully free from that. Everyone say amen. Romans six says that we have been set free from sin. Not, not one day when we bite our tongue hard enough and try harder. No, like we, we have been set free from sin. But, but I feel like, you know, this journey of being sanctified in Christ is just beginning with me. And what I mean by that is, is it's one thing to overcome the temptations of the flesh. It's another thing to, to get over seeds of religion that have been planted in you that that I started to realize I'm not struggling with the fleshly stuff. The things I struggle with is like being disgusted with my inconsistency and spending time with Jesus. As if spending time with Jesus is only behind a door and a closet. And I don't really abide with him every moment, every day of my life. We, we live our lives in a way where God is not omnipresent. He's at one place in my closet. We, we have this idea that I'm only with God when I am uh, on my knees weeping and doing the Luingle thing. Or in a corporate gathering. Sorry. But God, God dwelling with me in my car and in the grocery store, nah, it's, not, it's not like anointed enough. And here's what's wild about April 18th for me is it wasn't something where I was screaming on the floor. It was, I I was crying, but it was things like in the plane and when I got home and I'm sitting outside watching my kids play and something's happening inside of me. And as I'm sitting there watching them play, whereas before I'd be like, man, how much time have I spent with God today? How much time did I, okay, I got to go be alone. Got to tell William, which by the way, happy birthday to my little new big six-year-old. Well, he's not new, but he's a new six-year-old boy. Love him so much. Um, if you see him today, say happy birthday. Just don't touch him and be weird. It's my kid. Anyway, so um, I feel like today you have to say things like that, you know? Anyway, I don't know why I said that. Maybe 
I know, never mind. Anyway, um, but I'm watching them play outside and I'm thinking to myself, I get it. Like this is the best day of my life. And, and it's not because I accomplished something. It's not because of an accolade. It's not because I, I completed a task that led me into money. My day wasn't blessed because I got something. My day was blessed because my perspective was I have all things pertaining to life and godliness, even to what I think I don't have, right? And I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm, my, God bless my parents, Emily and I are living with them right now, and it's amazing, and not because, well, our house is selling and praise God, but, but uh, I'm sitting outside of my parents' house and I'm watching my children play and I'm thinking, I don't remember the last time I had joy like this and peace like this. And, if, and God, if you never did anything else for me and all I did was just sit here and watch my children, there's something inside of me that's like, I'm so happy and I don't know why. And, and now the preacher guy, you assume I got it all figured out, but oh, I promise you I don't. And I'm realizing that there is this simple truth that I have been stuffing down and I can preach it and I can say it and I can project it, but really it all comes down to this. I am loved by my father. And, and if you just take a tally of our lives and we did measure our lives, let's say, I promise you most of us don't live in a way that exudes, I have a father that I am loved by. Right, Because religion potters us. And so he's been freeing me and he's been freeing us from self-effort. John 15, five. And I wanna bring some context. I wanna bring, I feel like I've gotta do this a lot because of the emails of what I'm not saying, okay? Um, John 15, five says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You don't need to turn there, just listen. Everyone say, apart from me, you can do nothing. So now take a personal say, apart from him, I can do nothing. Okay, what does nothing mean in the Greek? It means nothing. It's not a fancy word. It just literally means nothing. So let's, let's put some uh, understanding to what nothing is. It means you can't be devoted to God without God right? You can't, you can't live a sacrificial life without Jesus. You can't consecrate yourself without Jesus. You can't desire Jesus without Jesus. You can't love Jesus without Jesus. There's nothing in your life, in your Christian life, that you can accomplish outside of Jesus, pretty simple, right? Then why do we live in a way like we have this exchange that we've got to make? Amen. When it's already been made. We can't be devoted to the Lord without the power and the strength of the Lord. Now I actually want you to turn. We, we hit on it, but I just, this is just review. I want you to turn to Matthew 13 because I want you to see it and how we've been lied to for way too long and, and the boundaries of religion told me I can go this far and no further and I ain't listening to it anymore. 
And if we lose people because I tell you to, like if, if, if we lose people because you just can't believe how treasured you are, I can't help you. Now, I can't be that good. I'm too terrible. I, fine, I don't know what to tell you. But, but I refuse to stand up here and present a God to you who is just a big God and you're like, just here. But when Jesus said the words, when you have seen me, you have seen the father and then praying, he says, and when you pray to my father and our father, everything changed in the whole earth in that moment. You just said that God is our father. I was thinking about it during worship. Romans five talks about how we've been given reconciliation. You know what the word reconciliation means? It means it's an exchange of equivalent values. It's key. That we have been reconciled to God. What he's saying is, is God came as in a form of his son, firstborn amongst, come on, many brethren. How many of you have more than one kid? And uh, you, you might have favorites. That's fine. And you know, we all like pretend that we don't. But, but the reality, and I think Jesus is probably his favorite. Let's be honest. But, but here's the deal. There is no way I can fathom loving any one of my kids more than the other. It's, it's you can't, it's impossible to comprehend. And even the one that just keeps giving you problems that you can't, get to seem to control, you would in a second give your life for that one just as much as you would the one that's always like, yes, sir. Right? Because it's your children. So when he said my father and our father, what he's saying is, is my value to him is your value to him. And I believe the revelation that's gonna change the whole world is when a generation starts realizing he loves me like he loves Jesus that he sees me like he sees Jesus. And the proclamation of Jesus was that, hey, you and I are the same to him. Wow, and religion's like, you can't say that. Shut up. That's what the Bible says, right? I just wanna say what Jesus says. I just wanna do what Jesus does. Because reconciliation is, is you have the same value to the Father exchange of equivalent values. Do we live that way? No. So Matthew 13, you go to verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. He buys that field again. It's now verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and he bought it. Now, let's break this down for a second because for a long time I was told that Jesus is the treasure in the field and I'm the man that found him. But how many of you found the Lord or if the Lord found you? The Lord found you. The father draws us to the son chosen in him before the foundation of the world, right? He's known me, my, my brother's been saying it all morning, that it was upon him that we relied when we were infants without knowing it. He didn't like 
search and discover God, God followed you your whole life until you turned around. And he's tapping you on the shoulder. Hey, you done yet? You done yet? You, okay. And he, and he finds you, okay? But I was told that I'm the man that find it, found him. I'm the man that found the treasure in the field. And we've completely removed the context because we don't really believe that we're that valuable of an equivalent value for Jesus to give us his life, right? And so for a long time, I was told that I'm the man that found the treasure in the field. And now I got to sell out everything I have and buy the whole field, right? But actually, if you really start to consider the kingdom, and I know we talked about it last week, he's the man that found treasure in the field and he paid an ultimate price and he bought the whole field, right? But we've been taught that we've got to pay a price to get closer to Jesus. That there's something we've got to do to pay for his nearness and it is an insult to the price that Jesus paid, the ultimate one on the cross where he said, you didn't pay for nothing. I paid for everything and I don't need you to add interest to it. But if we're really honest with ourselves, we live our lives in a way, and now I know the, the Moravian, you know, made the lamb receive the reward or something. I get it. We got it on the wall. I'm all about it. But we have this idea that he died, that he paid a price, and now our whole lives are about paying him back. And our devotion is driven by guilt. And our consecration is true. This is the least I can do. No, no, no. Let me tell you how good God is. He died for every single person in the world and not every single person in the world yet has given their lives to him and it doesn't change what he did. Wow. Think about the lamb of God that, that he died in grace, knowing fully well before you were born that all the things that you would do, and he didn't change his mind, and he didn't say, okay, I'll give more blood once you've done more. No, he finished it, and then you started. And in the deal, there was no interest. You're not powerful enough to add to the contract. You're not strong enough to give something worthy of the cross, the Christian life, could it be as good as saying yes and amen? But we can't, it's hard to get there. So it's easier to say, well, he's the treasure in the field and I'm gonna fast for 53 years every other day of my life because I'm gonna prove to God that I was worthy of it. You didn't prove anything because you weren't worthy of it. This is called grace. So I've struggled for a long time with this tension. I've talked about it before with our leaders of, okay, so what is the price? Because the scriptures are clear. No one goes to war without counting the cost. No one builds a tower without counting the cost. But if, you, if, we're, if we just really consider what we've learned and what we've been taught, we've made it like when I go and give God my attention in my closet, I got to pay the price to turn the TV off. Can I tell you what, that, what we're saying when we say that? How many of you go on dates with your spouse? I'm mad, I was thinking about this this morning laughing. <laughs> I'm going to try it on Emily the next time we go out. Imagine I'm sitting at dinner with Emily and I'm like, babe, and she asked me how I'm doing and I said, tonight's a real sacrifice for me. Being with you, I'm saying no to a lot of other things. Do you know that? 
Do you recognize that? Everyone's like, because all the men in here know that you wouldn't be talked to for the next three to four days. He called me a sacrifice. <laughs> Having dinner with you, my love, is really sacrificial. It's silly in the world, but in our Christian lives, this is how we treat the secret place. I got to pay the price. Lord, it's, it's sacrificial. The living sacrifice of my life is being in your presence. Do you know how offensive that is to the Lord? If my wife said to me that it was sacrificial for her to sleep in my bed at night, I'd say they leave. Just kidding. I have so much grace. and Some of you are like, very forgiving person. But why, why can't we get this? Because there is a demonic spirit called religion that doesn't look like the evil movies. It looks handsome. It's pretty, feels good. You know, we're always like, you know, the, like we're always looking for the devil with the horns, right? We're always looking for like the disgusting guy that you're clearly like, that dude is Lucifer. That's easy, it's when the enemy comes in a form of a wolf in sheep's clothing, stands up behind pulpits and says, sacrifice your time to be with God. He's not a sacrifice to be with. He is the delight of our life. He is our refuge. The price is not giving God your attention. The price is when you're in the refuge with God and he is the delight of your life. And he says, I need you to move. I need you to do this. I need you to do that. You count the cost of following him. Because the one thing about God is he's not just interested in skipping through daisy fields. I've learned that as I hold his hand, he leads me through valleys like the shadow of death. He takes you through valleys like Baca, where it's valleys of weeping that he goes, turn it into a spring of water. How? Because I'll be with you. He's with us and it makes us have the ability and the grace to accomplish anything. Why? Because God is my refuge. It, it gives you the strength to go, that's an easy price to pay. Why? Because look who my father is. And he's going to be with me the whole time. Right? So he is our source of strength, which makes sacrificial living and being a living sacrifice easy. The cost is what you do in obedience that he told you to do. That's the cost. That's the price is, is how much is this impacting you? But I want you to think about what religion's done is we've made the doing things for God and receiving the accolades for it, the reward, and the cost is being with Jesus. I mean, I've heard this stuff preached by prominent people that I really have looked up to and still look up to, but they've made it about, you've got to forget everything in your life, including your kids, including your family, and you got to, and, and taking everything out of context in scripture, like hate your mother, hate your father, all of those things, which all it means, that word is not hate, the same God who said, honor your parents, first commandment with a promise, all of you young people, you want long life? 
honor your parents. The scriptures tell us, right? The same God who tells us to love and to honor. I mean, if he tells us to love our neighbor, surely we should love our mommy, (laughs) right? So we got to understand what it's saying, but it's anyone and anything you love more than me, right? But when you really get captured by the heart of God, you're going to become the best father on the earth, right? But we have made it like forsake everything for Jesus looks like leave your kids behind. They've got to go through their own thing. The price is we follow him and the reward of life is being with him, looking at him, being in his presence. So I always have had this this question that there's a tension and you hear it, you hear it a lot. And maybe many of you have said this before, but there's this tension between rest and reaching. There's this tension between okay, I'm seated in heavenly places, but I'm not gonna sit in service and just say I'm seated and have no zeal, right? There's that tension of like the going after God and the God is here. Anyone ever thought about that? Like, okay, Lord, we are, we're gonna pray the prayers of rend the heavens and come down, right? But the tension is, is he's here, right? But let me just tell you something. The measure of your recognition of he's here, I promise you can grow. The understanding of the measure that you encounter and know God and the knowledge that he's given you, there is always more. So always more is a really good place to live. But I'll tell you, there's this word that we stay away from in church because it gets greasy. We call it greasy grace. But there's this word called grace that is the only anchor that holds us in that tension. Here's what I mean. You don't have to turn there. First Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. For I am the least of the apostles. This is Paul talking. Unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder. Because of God's grace, he says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. We have this idea that the grace of God is just something that now I'm gonna sit back and do nothing. Because his grace finished, it's a finished work. Right, so I'm gonna sit back and do nothing. But Paul gives us the perfect definition and really the answer between reaching and resting is called grace because grace is our rest and our strength by which we reach. It's why we can't do anything without him, without his grace. It's by that resting grace upon my life that makes the cost easy. Listen to all these things that, when we consider the life of Paul. It's this revelation of grace. He's the apostle of grace. He shows up on the scene and says, hey, this is for everybody. This man was unbelievable, wrote most of the New Testament. It's, and he has this revelation. Now keep in mind, he is the most like zealous Pharisee you've ever seen, persecuting Christians, taking out the church, If anyone was to live by guilt, shame, and condemnation, it would be Paul. And it's this revelation that he would write things and say things like, therefore, if anyone be 
in Christ. Like, I want to know what his secret place was like. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And all things, not some, but all things have become new. This, this man would say things in Philippians 3, like, I don't really have much figured out, is what he said. But there's one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and pressing toward the upper call of God, which he identifies a few verses before as knowing him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That no matter what I'm going through, I'm always in fellowship with God. That there's no suffering, there's no pain, there's no shame, there's no guilt. It's why he would, Luke 9 would say, no one putting their hand to the plow looking behind them is fit for the kingdom of God. In other words, you cannot walk out this life with guilt attached to you. So Paul would say things through this revelation like rejoice while he's in prison. Rejoice, again, I say rejoice. It's in this revelation that I am loved and he is my father that would give you the courage to go to Malta like he did when no one else would go in Acts 27. He gets shipwrecked, God tells him, hey, by the way, I know some of you struggle with this, read Acts 27, God bless you. But the Lord, through an angel of the Lord, comes to him and says, hey, you're going to get shipwrecked, don't worry, no one's going to lose their life. And then he goes to this island and he gets bitten by a viper and he doesn't complain, he shakes it off into the fire, prays for one person, revival breaks out on the island. This is just the dude, this was the way he was, right? Because he didn't live outside of the fellowship of God. It's this revelation that'll give you the courage to say, here I am, send me. You know how many people I've watched sign up for ministry and get crushed by it? Become burnt out, lose their family, lose everything in their life. And they'll come up with the religious revelation like it was the cost I had to pay. No, 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 you joined ministry before you knew that you were loved. And the sufferings got the best of you because you forgot about fellowship in the midst of it. It's this revelation that'll give you the courage to say, here I am, send me, driven by this quiet confidence that says, who cares what the world does to me? I'm beloved to my father. It's this revelation that would cause Paul to pen while in prison for me. In Philippians, he said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You wanna become invincible? figure out who you are. Even if they kill me, I'm gaining. He's sharing about his suffering for the sake of the gospel going forth. What would cause someone to do that? What would cause someone to joyfully give their lives for the sake of the gospel? They found something, something the world can offer, a revelation of kindness, mercy, and grace that set them free. Romans 8, 38 through 39, we talked about it that says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. But to understand that, you have to know the context of verse 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
Stop. He wants to give us all things. You know what all means in the Greek? It means all. It's crazy. It's so deep. I think we like making things complex. Makes us feel good about ourselves like we're deep. There's no deeper teaching than I am loved by my father. He says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who, who can condemn you? Question mark. Christ Jesus is the one who died for you. More than that, who was raised and was seated at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Listen to this. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded, this is Romans 8, 31 through 39. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more, I don't even know what that means to be more than a conqueror. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Wow. I know we're not excited as we read it 50 million times. But what we're hearing is that if someone takes your life for the gospel, that this cost that you are signing up for no longer becomes hard to pay when you realize what has been paid for your life. That all your troubles, trials, tribulations that you're complaining to your friends group about every single week, when you really get a revelation that I am loved, all the complaining will stop out of your mouth. This was the children of Israel's problem. They couldn't get to understand who they were. My dad said it was easier for God to remove the powers of Pharaoh than to change the minds of these people who only knew bondage. And I feel like we're looking at a church in the West that has known bondage for way too long and you start hearing things like God saw you as a treasure in the field. While you were yet a disgusting, worthless sinner living in sin and alcohol and drugs and having sex with everyone you could find, God said, precious, wow! What is wrong with us? We are loved by God and we're still trying to pay him. What can I do for you? Nothing. You can't add one thing to me. This is what is so beautiful. I can't give him something that he's like, wow. I don't know if you could tell. I'm getting free from some stuff. Not devils. Just myself and like, I am phenomenal to the Lord. And this is unbelievable. This is the greatest revelation that I didn't like myself. And now I do. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you, this, is the, this is the gospel in a nutshell. You are disgusting and God said precious. Don't add anything to that. Just stop there. Don't put a but I'm precious, but now I got it. No, no, no. But now there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's, there's, no, 
There's nowhere that you are strong enough to add to your perfection. It's why you have to die. But the picking up of the cross and following him, you're not saying this is my religious duty because look at what he did and I'm disgusting and this is how I'm gonna pay him back. It's you pick up a cross with confidence going, I'm just like, it's crazy. When he died, I died with him. When he was buried, I was buried with him. When he was raised, I was raised with him. When he was seated in heavenly places, I was seated with him. And now I'm carrying the cross just as he carried the cross. He didn't just die for me. He died as me. I'm going to walk around like I'm a son of God, believe it or not, that I've been given all things and the power of God rests upon me. It makes me worthy to carry a cross. Rather than religion told us you're trash and unworthy and a sinner, pick up your cross. Make yourself worth it. You can't. He made you worth it. He wrote the story. You're not an author. But you are letters now seen before people. He wrote this story about you and you're trying to change it, but you're not the author. He's the author and finisher of our faith. And then we're like, Lord, let me help. Just no, stop. You're going to screw everything up. It's what we do. Take your hands off and say, I am as righteous as God. I felt it. Oh, what? For the, for the new people, let me, the scriptures say, he who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin, that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Wow. This is exciting. This is really exciting. In other words... He who knew no sin became sin so I could become as righteous as God. Wow. <laughs> Free us, Jesus, from self-effort. Amen? Okay. Now let's talk about Israel, and we'll go back into that in a minute. I'm really just going to, you got two messages today. That was the first one. Shortest message I've ever preached in my life. Go to Genesis chapter 12 because... And I, and I believe it's going to flow together because we're going to talk about our roots. Everyone say our roots. You have been grafted in to God's family. And not just like hypothetically, through real blood. Do you realize that? Through real transformative blood of the king of the Jews. Now, let me just preface by saying this. Please don't show up next week trying to dress like a Jew. All right? I honestly feel like I need to say that because some people show up, they got 53 shofars. And I'm not against shofars. I just, I just think sometimes like we get a little strange. It's the only way to describe it. Like hear what I'm saying, what the spirit is saying. You're not uh, probably of the tribe of Benjamin, okay? You're just not. You can name yourself Benjamin, but it doesn't make you of the tribe of Benjamin. You, you are a descendant of Christ through the blood of Christ, and you don't have to try to be someone else to receive a promise. You get to be a Gentile and say, I am as he is. Yeah. It's rewarding and it's exciting. So don't dress up like you're from uh, the... Middle East in 40 BC. Okay. Just felt like I needed to say that. Pastor Tanner texted me something. I'm afraid to open it. Anyway. 
I want you to write this down before we get into this. I want you to write down this website, Isaiah62fast.com. Isaiah62fast.com. And I want to invite you into a story I believe that's going to reveal even further who we are. But we need honor. Everyone on, in your notes put, we need honor. We need to honor our roots. We need to honor. There, there was a specific people that made a way for us. Isaiah 62 fast, and like I said, from May 7th, which is today, to May 28th, we are being a part of this. And like I said, I think a lot of them, most of them are doing the Daniel fast, which you can find in Daniel chapter 1 and chapter 10. It's basically you eat like a bird and there's no steak. So I'm going to try my best to get through it. But if a cookie happens to have just one, I will not deal with shame, guilt, and condemnation. But I will do my best. All right, but I love these little maple cookies that my mom's buy. So anyway, um, and I believe that as we see this, you're going to see that worldwide revival and salvation is connected to Israel and the salvation of the Jewish people. So you guys in Genesis 12? All right, let's read verse 1. Now Abram, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Here's the deal. I will bless those who bless you and, I, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. Some of your translations probably say, um, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. In you... All, everyone say all, the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, how many of you know when God says something, it doesn't end? When God says something, it's not like just momentary. It will be fulfilled. Every law, every commandment was fulfilled. It didn't end. It was fulfilled and it became letters written upon our hearts through the Lord, through Jesus Christ. And so... That word bless is favor, honor, of course, but the word curse is important because we're like, how could God curse anything? And here's what it's, it's qualal in Hebrew, and it means to dishonor or treat lightly. Now, here's where I got really convicted about this. Uh, Emily and I were in Franklin, and, and there is a man um, by the name of Todd McDowell, who, who ministers this one million times better than me. And he was talking about Israel and the Jewish people. And he started talking about treating lightly our roots. And I realized this is something I've done in my own life. And not from a place of like anti-Semitism, which is, out, which is outrageous to me that since 2019 has doubled in the U.S. Like, I don't know if you're noticing, but even celebrities are starting to come out against the Jewish people for, for literally no reason at all outside of it's evil, right? There's, they've always been attacked. They've always been persecuted because God has a plan. Everyone say God has a plan. So I've treated it lightly by not, if I'm honest with myself, not really spending time to pray for the salvation of those people and the salvation of Israel. And today, only 1.9% of Israel is considered Christian. 
And we're in America where that percentage is way more and we don't even consider it or think about it or pray for it, right? And so the Lord says to him who really doesn't honor you, to him who kind of treats this lightly, I'm gonna treat them lightly. And you'll see it in a second. And I want, and just the way of God really quick before I go further. So stay in Genesis 12, but the way of God is again, he does everything generationally. That he, he's a God that honors. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when Jacob's walking around, he always, God always reminded him of his grandfather, right? Generations after David is gone, Israel is constantly reminded of the faithfulness of David. God is a God that honors remembers even when you're in eternity, he still values what you did on the earth, right? This is just the way of God. In Genesis 33, Jacob purchases a piece of land and he builds an altar called God is mighty. You get to John chapter four, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman by a well called Jacob's well. When you study it, he went to the property that Jacob purchased and built an altar. And Jacob's altar turned into a well that literally relieved the thirst of generations. Till Jesus himself, imagine this, Jesus himself is leaning on a well that Jacob dug and it started with an altar. And this is what I believe that God, as a side note, is doing through this house and is going to continue to do is the altars that we are building for the Lord now, our kids will drink from. And altars turn into wells. That's just who God is. He turns altars into wells. People that lay their whole lives at his feet, he says, I'm gonna turn this one into a well that generations will drink from, right? I mean, you think about the son of God is resting on a well that started as an altar. Wow. So the Lord, the way he is, is he remembers. And I don't think there's any coincidence that we dedicated the little boy, Zechariah, God remembers. Because he's trying to get us to see something today, okay? So now go to Romans 11. Romans 11, so that you realize this is also in the New Testament. Because this isn't just an Old Testament thing. Now, I am the first to tell you that we have moved into a great revelation called a promised life. But I think God values land. I think land is important to God, and we're going to see it in a second. And, and he's just a beautiful storyteller is the only way I can describe it. And you start seeing this picture and the kindness of the Lord it, it, it's been blowing my mind lately. So you get to Romans 11. Let's start in verse seven. We're gonna read kind of a bit and I'm gonna try to do this fast. Verse seven, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The, ele the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Now this is key. The rest were hardened. Now I, I know that this produces questions. Come to a Bible study on a Wednesday night. You can ask Pastor Costi. but the Lord is literally wisdom. He doesn't just do wise things. He is the perfection of wisdom and knowledge. He has a counselor. I said it last week. His counselors are called his will. He's just, he doesn't need help, right? So he doesn't do anything. Ezekiel 14 says he does nothing without cause, all right? 
So I want you to remember that, that if as you read this book, you start seeing he's pulling some strings here. And I, and I don't know what to tell you with that. Like I read about how he hardened Pharaoh's heart in Romans 9. So his glory can be seen. Wait, this was Pharaoh's destiny? Yep. You have to read the Bible and you can't be offended and leave the church because, oh my gosh, they said something in the Bible. We don't need our truth. We need his truth. And I am someone and I want to be surrounded by people that go, even if it messes with my theology, my theology is probably wrong if it's in the Bible. So I just shouldn't say absolute things that I'm contradicting scripture out. I want to know him. I want to dive into him. So remember this, that the Lord, he, he hardened the rest as it was written. God gave them a spirit of stupor. Wow, eyes that would not see. God gave them. This is New Testament, guys. This isn't even the Old Testament. And ears that they would not hear down to this very day. 1.9%, remember that. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Listen to this, verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. What is he saying? Did they stumble just for the sake of stumbling because God didn't like them? By no means. It wasn't just about like, the Lord is not this. He's not... I'm going to trip them. <laughs> and that was the point. I do that to Costi, yes. For sure, Michelle. And I enjoy just watching them fall because it's funny. But that's not God, right? The way, the way that God is, is he called Jesus a stumbling block. And Jesus had to be a stumbling block so that all the nations of the earth could see him. Right? So he says, was it just for the sake of them falling? No. He's better than that. Remember, he's good. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. You're a Gentile, by the way. If you've ever wondered, it's just anybody that wasn't a part of the children of Israel. Maybe some of you, that's fine. But reality is, is Gentiles is the world. As to make Israel jealous. That's so sick. Wow. Now if they, now if their trespass, and I want you to underline this, means riches for the world. And their failure means riches for the Gentile. How much more? I know here's where we need humility and we need honor. Is your dope that you got saved. But how much more when they, who are part of the original root, here's where people don't like it, and here's where anti-Semitism comes in, of they're not better than us. I'm not saying anybody's better than anybody. I'm talking about this thing called honor, right? In other words, we might be in a room that has more people than resurrection life had, but we wouldn't be in this room without my mother and father being faithful with the group that God gave them in Texas, right? We would have zero if they didn't have 30. Don't be impressed with your hundreds and forget about the 30. It's not anyone's better than anybody else, but it's without honor, we have nothing. 
Without honor, we will fall into our own traps and our own pride, and we need humility to come back into the church. So he says, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So their trespass, start considering God's wisdom. Their trespass was your riches. Their fall, their disobedience was your blessing. Like an older brother that this happened in Nicosia and I all the time. I should have been the one that was spanked, but he's the oldest. And it's unfair, but usually he got blamed for things because he was just bad mostly, right? And so this is the gospel. The older brother did what actually the younger brother deserved. Their failure means riches for the Gentiles. Now I am speaking to you. Now we're in verse 13. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection, wow, means the reconciliation of the world. Guys, you need to, some of you I feel like aren't getting, you need to read this in your own time. It'll change your whole life. If their rejection means reconciliation for the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. In other words, the promise given to them has now become the promise given to you through their trespass. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, I was a wild olive shoot, praise God, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. In our language, it's not us that supported resurrection life, it was resurrection life that supported us. Then you will say, branches, you were broken off so that I might be grafted in. And that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then that the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but the kindness of God toward you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And if they, and, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief will be grafted in for God has the power to graft them in again. Now here's where we've taken this out of context. I talked about it last week is we want to balance God for him, right? Don't forget he's good, but don't catch him on a bad day, right? That's how we teach. As you read this, you realize that the whole point was to show his kindness to the whole world. It wasn't a God that needed to be balanced. It was a God that desired to be revealed for who he really was. And discipline comes to those whom he loves. A son is illegitimate if he can't take the chastening of a father. Right? I say all the time, people are like, man, oh, you're going to be my spiritual father. I'm like, let's have one situation where I have to correct and we'll see if you say the same thing. That's your test. 
right? Because it's illegitimate to say and call yourself a son, a daughter, whatever, of the Lord if you're not okay with the Lord chastening you. So the Lord chastens the older brother to make way for the younger brother, not to have balance between his severity and his kindness, and you'd always be scared, but ultimately for you to see how kind God is and honor with humility. So he says, verse 24, for if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree engrafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more, there's that word again, how much more will these, who? God's original elect. How much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Do you realize that is still happening? Wow. Until all are drawn to the cross, Israel is suffering for the sake of all being brought to the cross. Till today, whether they dress like it or not, you know, like people are like, well, Israel, it's, it's become humanistic. It's become so crazy, democratic. I know, but it doesn't change their roots. This is why we're praying and fasting. You go there today and you're like, this is not what I read about in the Bible. No, they're hardened in their hearts and they need people that begin to pray for them for salvation to break out in Jerusalem right? So it says, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel, everyone say all Israel. We're going to see the greatest revival we've ever seen in the earth in Israel. All Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob and this will be my covenant with them. I will take away their sins as regards the gospel. They are enemies for your sake. Now let's just think about this for a second. <laughs> High priest, Pharisee, enemy of the cross for my sake. I know, I get it, it confuses me too, but it's real. And we have to study it. We have to be willing to go beyond these boundaries that are religions like, no, 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 if he doesn't give you like daisies and it's perfect every day of your life, something's wrong, leave that church. He makes suffering easy. For our sake, for our sake, it says, As regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. As regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. This is the New Testament. But in regards, as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. In other words, don't look at where they're at now. There's roots in there. For the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. Verse 30, for just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy 
because of their disobedience, so they too now have been disobedient in order that they by mercy, by the mercy shown to you, that they may also now receive mercy. In other words, I made them jealous through your mercy so that they could receive mercy as well. But don't forget that it was the disobedience and trespass of them that gave you an entrance in. Now remember Genesis 12, them who treat you lightly, I'm gonna treat them lightly. And I'll bless every nation of the earth that blesses you. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. I wanna spend so much time on it. Got 23 minutes and 35 seconds and counting. Yeah, says who? That's right. That's what I'm talking about. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. Anyone ever read? He delights in showing mercy. What does that mean? <laughs> You're like screwing up. He's like, ah. Oh. I know it made messes with me too. I'm not being crazy. I haven't said anything. I'm just reading a chapter in the Bible. And if you're offended by the chapter in the Bible, you have a problem with the Bible. You don't have a problem with me. You got a problem with the Bible. I just want to make that really clear. All right? And the stuff that gives you issues and makes you feel uncomfortable, you need it. You need to eat it. You need to receive it. But you start thinking about this God who gave all to disobedience from the time of the garden. Wait till they see really how good I am. And they'll never really see how good I am without their disobedience. Just start putting that story together. That unless they fall, I mean, gosh, help me. Didn't plan on going here, cause if we lose everybody, I'm going to Franklin, you'll be fine. <laughs> no, I'm gonna be here all the time, every two weeks. I'm not leaving, I'm just moving. Guys, do you know that nowhere in scripture it says that man fell? Now, man was disobedience, and they did fall, but was, was God like, no way. Was he like, dang, can't believe him. What do we do now, Holy Spirit? Father, what should we do? They screwed up. You got a plan B? Yeah, Jesus, you're the plan B. Jesus ain't no plan B. He's the, the scriptures say the lamb slain for the foundation of the world. In other words, they're gonna mess up but man isn't going to go like this. Man is going to go like this. Right? And, and so because we've been taught, oh, this is going to take forever. Help me, Lord. Because we've been taught so wrong, we have this idea of like, now I know, I, I know, like it's, it's good for songs, like he's restoring us back to the garden. And he is taking us back to the garden, but he's not restoring me to Adam. I'm not being restored to the relationship Adam had with God. I don't want that relationship. I'm restored to the reconciliation that Jesus has with his father. So it's not taking us backwards to we're walking in the cool of the day with the Lord. I'm not walking in the cool of the day with the Lord. I'm walking in the Lord, which is a greater revelation than walking with a breeze on my face. That's the Lord. No, he is the wind in me now. It's why he came like a mighty rushing wind. It went from a cool breeze in a garden to a violent wind flowing through my veins. I'd 
rather be one with God than be God be else that we're holding hands walking through a garden. That's, that's, there was a greater revelation from Genesis to Revelation, which was they're going to be disobedient, and I'm going to then give them a law as a schoolmaster, and it's all been leading to this one place, Jesus Christ, the incarnation of God in the flesh, saying it's always been about you and I being one. And Adam was, listen, do you realize that you relate more to the life of Jesus than Adam? Do you realize that? Adam wasn't a baby. Adam didn't need a mom to to give him milk when he was crying. Adam was a grown, brilliant man that could name all the animals. How many of you came out brilliant? You're nothing like Adam. Adam. But Jesus comes as a seed in a woman, poops in his cloth. Well, then diapers, so the cloth. And cried and had to learn obedience through the things that he suffered. And he needed Mary and he needed to be raised. And then he got a job, believe it or not. Some of you need to get a job. He, he got a job and he worked as a carpenter and he went through life. And at 30 years old, he finally shows up on the scene. You relate more to that story than you do some man naked in a garden. And we all want to go back to the garden. I don't want to go back to the garden. I'm on my way to a city called Zion. As he is, so are we. All right. I hope, I probably confused everybody. I'm a little confused too, but here's the deal disobedience was so that God's mercy can shine bright. My dad always says there was no sound of adoration, praise, and exaltation in the garden because they didn't know what it was like to be outside of the mercy of God. They didn't know how to sing about his grace because they didn't need it. Right? But now I get to say your mercy endures forever your goodness and your mercy will follow me all the days of my life why because i know what life was like without it this is called the wisdom of the lord all right if you're offended you know talk to pastor cost you don't have to leave right away okay just give us a chance but i'm honestly just reading the bible And chapter 11, you want to get really offended? Go to Romans 9. I read that chapter and I'm still like, I don't get it. But you know what? May we be humble enough to go, help me understand, Lord, but I will not run from the hard stuff. And maybe your goodness is better than I think. And maybe when you're putting a comma and I've tried to put a period and called doctrine, right? Let God finish the story. He... This, it says he turns all things for good. Everyone say all. Again, in Greek, that just means all. He turns all things for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Right? I've shared this story a lot. I, I have a very good friend that struggled with a lot of uh, emotional trauma when he was a little kid. He was a lot of sexual stuff that happened to him. And, and the way God anoints us is we always are trying to figure out what he's not doing. I mean, I heard Bill Johnson say like this, culture today, if Jesus was here and he, and he walked up to a pool at Bethesda and healed one person, the news media wouldn't talk to that one person. They would talk to all the ones Jesus passed. That's what we do. And that was what Bill said. So again, you can be offended with Bill, but but we focus on why didn't he heal everybody rather than celebrating the one. 
right? And so I, there's, there's, this, there's this idea because we're so chronological and carnal that when I'm going through something, surely this can't be God, right? Surely God would never allow me to suffer. Even though Paul's praying, I want the fellowship of your sufferings. Not me, God, you're good. Let me tell you how good God is. That even what the enemy means for evil, the enemy plays into God's hand because he's not good at what he does. God's better. So when you're little and you're going through stuff that the enemy is doing to you because he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, it's what he is, God says, wait till they see what I'm gonna do through that. And it's not that God ever wanted you to go through that, but he's so good, he's so wonderful that you'll look back and see Wow, even the mistakes, even the horrible things created this story that looks like a masterpiece. He's that good. So I know this guy that went through what he did, suffered, struggled with depression, suicidal thoughts because of how he was up, all this stuff he dealt with in his past. So I'm at a meeting with him and I tell him to stand up and talk about and ask those who have been struggling with the same thing since they were little, ask what they're struggling with it and pray for them. And he stands up and the minute he just says, I know what you're going through, devils start manifesting everywhere. And I watched the Lord take someone who was sexually abused as a child that the enemy meant for evil. I watched in a moment, the Lord turn it for good. And that compounded anointing turned into a fragrance on somebody's life that says, I overcame it and you can too. And people in the room got free. Like God is that powerful that the very thing that came against you, the very thing that hurts you, God said, it's going to work for you. And Josh, I mean, the book of numbers says, I'm going to make the enemy your bread. Wow. All right, help us, Lord. Sorry, I didn't mean to go into all that, but Romans 11, he wanted to show mercy. And he used disobedience to put on display how wonderful he is. Romans 1, 16, I'm almost done. If I could have the worship team come back up. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Here's what's important. You guys listening? Everyone listening? First to the Jew, then to the Greek. Again, honoring the roots of the Jewish people and that land in the New Testament is priority. So just some history really quick, because I want you to see that there is this attachment to what takes place there, the salvation that takes place there will have global impacts on scales like we've never seen. And it's been throughout history this way. So there's, there's two revolts of the Jewish people that they came against the current rule of the day. And just listen, uh, we can try to maybe get some of these notes to you guys, but 66 through 73 AD, of the second temple took place except for one wall called the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. You guys have heard of that, right? And they lost many, many, many Jews, but there's always been this attack trying to separate the people from the land, right? In 132 through 135 AD, a massive Jewish depopulation took place where 580,000 Jews died, not including those who died from disease and hunger. This is, this is in Jerusalem and the outer parts of Jerusalem. 
Almost all Jewish people, all of them, left Jerusalem and migrated to Galilee where the remaining Jewish population was. Romans gave them the name Palestine to the kingdom of Judea. So the name Palestine was given after that revolt and basically they lost their land. Attempt was and always has been to break away the people from their land forever. However, listen to this. When you study what happened in that period, the biggest, most radical explosion of Christianity went throughout the nations right after that. The greatest explosion to the nations when, when the Jews are being suff- suffering, tried, being kicked out of their land, it forced all the messianic ones that got uh, captured by the revelation of Jesus Christ, every nation they went into, they spread like cancer. So again, the enemy doesn't realize that he's working into the hand of God going, you can try to kick them out all you want. Number one, eventually I'm going to bring them in and revival, the greatest revival is going to hit Jerusalem. And number two, all you're doing by kicking them out is getting Christianity to the whole world. But the Jews would become wanderers for many generations to come throughout the world. You've got to understand, like, we go from Genesis to Revelation, But do you realize, like you read about their wandering in the wilderness in the book of Exodus, it it still happened and is happening. We're right after this, the Jews are wandering once again. But because it's history, we just start treating it lightly. We just start treating God's people and God's land kind of lightly and not really giving it honor. But they're wandering just like they did in the book of Exodus, taking the gospel to the nations and we don't, even, we've, we don't even read stuff like it. We don't even know about stuff like this. Throughout the course of history, there would be remnants that would return, but consistently pushed out over and over again. In the 1800s, Israel was considered the Wild West. This is an actual quote from Mark Twain in the 1800s. He went throughout Israel and he said, there was a few goats and no people and the goats were eating rocks. Under the Ottoman Empire, they would tax trees if you owned property there. So to avoid taxes, everyone removed trees that were on their property. So there was literally no trees in Israel. This is why there was a movement where it was planting a tree in Israel was so popular once they became a nation in 1948. My dad, I was talking to my dad about this just to confirm some of this stuff because this is where he's from. This is... Jaffa was where Peter uh, had his house. My dad was born in that town. And my dad said he, would all, he always remembered it was like a big thing, just plant trees, plant trees. Because you got to understand, it, it at one point went from the beautiful oasis it was back to the desert. And there's the children of Israel wandering again in the 1800s. The promised land that once was fruitful, they attempted to remove its fruit. Wandering, so a wandering people once again during this era in history, like the children of Israel in the wilderness, empty with an empty promised land. I mean, imagine that day in the 1800s, nothing going on in the land of Israel and Jerusalem. Here's history's history of nations that supported the Jewish people. Spain in the 11th and 14th century, Spain took in the Jewish people and gave them safety. So remember, Right after this happens with the Ottoman Empire, they become wanderers again, like the book of Exodus. So so in the 11th and 14th century, 
Spain became the first world superpower and they became the first world superpower after they had given the people of Israel safety and land in Spain. They became the first world superpower for over 150 years until it turned its back on Israel. They confiscated their wealth, forced them to become Catholic, stole their children, forced them to eat pork and killed them if they would not. They soon fell from that superpower. Remember, I will bless those who bless you. Curse those who curse you. The nations will be blessed through you forever. God, see, this is what, see, this is the part of God that I'm like, he knows me because he's still thinking about Abraham. Wow. We're talking superpowers, nations, and he's still thinking about the guy in Canaan. Great Britain showed mercy by taking in the Jewish people after that, promising a homeland for them, protecting them, and placing troops in Israel. They were the world's superpower. They became the world's superpower for over 100 years. Then they as well turned their back on the Jewish people and turned away immigrants, placing them instead in camps in Cyprus and pulling out troops before Israel declared itself a nation in 1948. After World War II, Great Britain lost its superpower. The U.S., the catalyst for voting for Israel to become a nation at the United Nations in November of 1947, Harry Truman stuck his neck out on behalf of Israel and convinced enough nations to grant Israel a homeland after World War II and the Holocaust. The U.S. has been the world's super greatest superpower for the past 80 years and today remains the largest supporter of Israel. Now things are not exactly going that direction, but that's why we're praying. Harry Truman, listen to this, who was like the catalyst. He was, he was the one that, that apostolically in a sense without even realizing it, it started fulfilling scripture in a room at the United Nations. And Harry Truman owned thousands of acres in Kansas City that IHOP ended up inheriting or purchasing much of of becoming, listen, which today IHOP is one of the greatest movements in Christianity ever hit the earth. And if you drive around Kansas City, I I remember Mike Bickle, he, he drove me around. He's such a humble guy. He drove me around in his like little Honda, 1999. It had the windows like, beautiful man. He's driving me around and, and he's bringing me to these this acres, hundreds of acres that Harry Truman, the president, used to own. And I started thinking to myself, wait a minute, Harry Truman was the one that stuck his neck out for Israel and built an altar in the middle of a room in the United Nations, who then led to a vote, a majority vote for Israel to become a nation in 1948 because of this man. And this man's altar became a well that till today, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, prayer is happening, ministering to the Lord, who's now leading, that ministry is now leading the greatest prayer movement to ever take place for the nation of Israel, where millions of people are gathering on the property of a man who stood up among nations and said they deserve to have a land. It's God's land. Think about this. I will bless those who bless you. I will treat lightly those who treat you lightly. And the restoration and salvation of that land and people is connected to worldwide revival and salvation and greater riches for the church at large. Listen to some of this. I, I read some of this. Again, that this man blew me away. You, I can, we can even send out 
um, where, he, where he gives some of these statistics. But in 1882 and 1903, there was the first return took place called First Elijah. It was Jewish farmers came and they took land and began to repopulate the area in the early 1900s. They, they returned. Now, how many times you see in scripture, I will call from the north, I will call from the east, I will call from the west, and they will come back to the land that I've promised them. Time something like this happened, you can find a part of history where something exploded in the church. So, in 1903, this happens. In 1904, the Welsh revival breaks out in Wales, and by 1906, it had hit the streets of Southern California on Azusa Street. One year after something happened in Jerusalem. 1947, November 29th, the majority vote at the United Nations established Israel as a nation for the Jewish people for the first time since. 586 BC. Before, 586 years before Christ. We're talking, you can still read about it in the Old Testament. Not since then. Imagine you're sitting in that room in 1947. Of biblical proportions. It became official in 1948. In 1948, Billy Graham begins his ministry, which would bring millions to salvation and healing movement of the 1950s would begin at the exact time. In 1967, a six-day war broke out. Israel miraculously wins the war in six days against three enemies who attacked them from all sides and against all odds they won and kept territory. Two tanks, this is an actual story, two tanks from Israel saw hundreds coming from Egypt and they said, we're just going to go anyways. And it was a suicidal mission. They're suicide mission. The Egyptian military recorded that they saw what looked like a thousand Israeli military tanks, so they fled. The soldiers in the two tanks said they saw enemies jumping out of the tanks and running. This is like in our history. This isn't even like something you read in the Bible necessarily. It's still happening because he's still thinking about Abraham. 1967, listen to this. 1967, the Jesus movement began. Also in 1967, Reinhard Bonnke launched his ministry. It was also during the Six-Day War that my dad, and my, fam- or my dad and his family migrated to Canada. And God began his work through that generation that would ultimately touch the world. All in 1967. I will bless those what happens here will be riches to the world, the scriptures tell us. Psalms 122, 6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. It's the only city in scripture commanded that we pray for. Now I know, of course, we pray for our cities, of course. But this is the only city that scripture commands us to pray for. Isaiah 27, 6 says, in the days to come, Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world, the whole world with its fruit. Ezekiel 36, 23 through 28, and I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I will vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations they were wanderers and I will gather you from all the countries and I will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water. Now you've got to understand this isn't talking about, this isn't repeating Exodus. They all came from Egypt in Exodus. He's 
saying, I'm going to take you from all the nations. He's prophesying about our times. And I will bring you to your own land and I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit and I will put it within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be their God. Isaiah 43, five through six. Fear not for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, north, give up and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. I'm done. Charles Spurgeon makes this statement. The fullness of the church's glory can never come until the Jewish people are back. Matchless benefits to the world are bound up with the restoration of Israel. Their gathering shall be as life from the dead. What did we just read in Romans 11? That it shall be when they come as life from the dead. So in a time where anti-Semitism is exploding in the earth and you've got celebrities and people of influence once again coming against them as if we're trying to make like the Holocaust normal. You wonder why. Like this, and what's crazy is that nonsense is out there. It's, it, it doesn't even make sense to me. But it's not coincidence they're going to hate those people God's elect God promises that the world is not going to like us it didn't like him and now we've been grafted into this family and we never think about them we don't consider our roots we don't consider that land we pretty much if we're being honest in America treat it pretty lightly and I would say that as a church at time that that change that as a community like it says in Romans 11 and Romans chapter 1 that to the Jew first and then to the Greek and we ought to all be so thankful for the sacrifice that without even realizing it has been paid for our acceptance. How much more? I believe that what could take place, I actually felt this this morning as I was praying, I was like, I feel like prayer rooms are going to begin in Jerusalem. I'm not even saying this, I would love it to be through us, but like these secret houses, and it's already happening there, but I specifically see prayer movements begin to take place in Jerusalem and people are going to come in secret and start getting saved. I know some of these churches that are gathering Arabs and Jews, which has been the biggest fight since the beginning, where Arabs and Jews are building some of the biggest churches in Jerusalem and Tel Aviv. And here's our prayer is that revival break out there. We're always asking, do it here, do it here. I would tell you that there is riches for us in doing it there. Someone came and asked Robert Morris one time, why is Gateway the highest grossing church in the world, probably in history? And he said, because we give to the Jewish people. As a church, we give to the Jewish people. I believe it's the Jew first. And I would encourage you in your own lives that if you aren't praying, if you aren't standing for that nation, we probably don't honor the roots appropriately. Thank you again for joining us for this podcast. We pray that above all, your life was touched by his presence. If you're interested in learning more about the church or getting plugged in, you can visit us at www.risennation.org or follow us on social media to stay up to date with all that God is doing here. We love you guys. God bless.